Optimism vaccine. I'm Steve and I'm really sick. Got a horrible head cold. Don't have the COVID because I'm immune to it. I've decided, but I'm sick. Well, that's good. You can, you can take off the mask, you know? Yeah. This is This means I can like ride the bus and, and cough on people and nobody can say anything. I'm going to, I'm going to go on an airplane tomorrow and just like lick everybody's hands. See how that goes for me. Uh, but Hey, joining me today if he was a diehard movie, he'd be live free or die hard because he firmly believes that Len Wiseman is the only Wiseman worth a damn when it comes to film. Adam Myros. Uh, was he one of the three at the, uh, the birth of Christ there? I, <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know, I, I think I've heard of this really good podcast about Len Wiseman called uh, Wiseman Podcast. Have you, are you familiar with that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a good one. I think it's a, they've strung just so much content out of that, honestly. I think they're taking the piss at this point. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, how did they get so much out of Underworld, you know? Like, is there can you really do, like, 10 episodes on that? Well, there's probably, so. like, 10 movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it seems like those just keep fucking coming out, right? Yeah, man. Like, you, what's going to happen when the, when the lichens come? You know, they're, they're always going after the, the vampire. But that's all I know about the Underworld series. Yeah, I, there's a lot of leather trench coats and whatnot. It, it, oh, yeah. It seems like on paper it should be a fun thing to watch. But then you yeah. put it on and you're like, no, sure isn't. My che- my checklist for a good time is lichens and leather daddies. So, I yeah, it's weird how that one doesn't pan out. But what do I know? Also joining us, if he was a diehard movie, he'd be a good day to die hard because he loves and respects the CIA and when he can't have Wings Hauser in an action movie, he'll gladly take his son, Cole Hauser, Jack Eason. That's a beautiful summation. I'm hoping you'll be able to repeat that at my funeral, too. I totally. That's, yeah. Thank I mean, you, Steve. It would no mean, better way it to mean the world up. to me. <laughs> <laughs> Love the CIA. They're great. <laughs> the FBI, they, they're not so good in the, in the, the Die Hard movies. They, they're a bit smug. They think they know a lot. CIA, so far as I can recall, are blameless. Just good old mm-hmm. boys keeping us safe. Yeah, they, they start a lot of good wars that I'm really into. So, And, I mean, if John McClane's son is the CIA guy, like, I mean, how could the CIA be bad, right? Sure. Wars Makes are sense. cool as hell, I think. Yeah. That's a just understood thing. Oh, I know. People are always complaining about them, but think about it. Like, name a bad war. I can't pick a one. Name a bad war movie. I mean, yeah. where are we going to get mo- movies from if there are no wars? We just have to do theoretical wars. Well, yeah, we, we already do that, right? Yeah. We got the, like, the, Thanos the... wars and whatnot. <laughs> I thought the I thought, thought Avengers Civil War was just about the Civil War. Did they not, did they <laughs> change that? There's there's nothing better than just cracking some brewskis and watching war flicks with the boys. Like, I mean, you know, I come and see. Yeah, I'd love to come and see that. Let me go get a sixer of Bud Light. Let's fucking go. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we we love war, but mostly we love diehard movies. And uh, what diehard movie do you think I'd be, Jack? Uh, you know, that's 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 a great question because uh, I can't remember the names of any of them after the first three, so that limits me a little bit. <laughs> well, I think he 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 already just told us the names of the well, other two. He said the Jack. two of them, so yeah, yeah I was thinking like five. I was thinking you'd just be Die Hard two because you know you're you're pretty entertaining, but I'm not sure you're you know Die Hard one material. I yeah, was gonna say yeah. it was the one with all the racism. <laughs> <laughs> I Is didn't that... realize they stuck that into just one of them. Well, it's it's foregrounded, you know, much as the Steve It's Cohen, true, yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree with Jack. I had myself kind of uh, earmarked as a diehard, too, because, uh, you know, I'm a little louder and a little flashier than the original, but uh, also ultimately I'm kind of derivative and uh, maybe a little disappointing as well. So, uh, yeah, I think diehard, too, fits. Let's go with that. Uh, funny thing is that we're not actually talking about the Die Hard movies today because fuck it, why would we do that? We're going in a different direction, and that direction is Jack was like, "Hey, what if we watch these two Hong Kong action movies from the mid '90s that are basically just 
diehard clones. You, yeah, you got to understand. It's like, what if like diehard took place in a building in mm-hmm. Asia, and it's like we have the answer. If you if you ever wonder what that would be like, we know. Yeah, we know now. Because a lot of people were saying Nakatomi Plaza. What if that was in Hong Kong? It's, yeah, it sounds Asian, but it's not in Asia. Common mistake. Mm-hmm. This building is in Asia. Things go down different there. Yeah. So the first movie that we watch is, uh, again, I, I hadn't heard of either of these until you just kind of dropped them in our laps. But uh, the first one's called High Risk, and it stars a young-ish Jet Lee, or at least kind of before he made his big crossover into America. And I didn't know what to expect from these because, you know, uh, mid-90s, low-budget action films. But let me tell you, low-budget, mid-90s Hong Kong action films, they know how to do it right. And how do you open an action movie and instantly get me hooked and just fully invested? The answer is you open with violence against children. And boy, howdy, does this movie deliver in spades what hong kong cinema is all about they, they understand that um you know like a, a villain has to be totally and utterly rabidly villainous there's no half measures and that's what we get served up here in space all of the villains are just absolute mincing lunatics who want to kill as many people as possible for no visible gain but that's just how they're wired they're just they're bad guys yeah and, and i think on the surface we're told that I, the only motivation here is the main villain who's named the doctor. His whole thing is he engages in very high risk hostage situations in order to extort money. And we're told that he did this at like a, a I don't know if it was a, a mall or somewhere in like a crowded downtown area, blew up a bomb, killed a bunch of people. He tried it again, this time at a school. Uh, don't think he got any money. But he blew up a full bus. No, he did. Just he got the money. Children. He got money. He got oh, the money. And he blew. Okay. Yeah. And he blew up the children. So it was a double way. Yeah, the, the point okay. is, uh, yeah, he, he, he's like a serial kidnapper, but he always kills the hostages, which I don't think that works. If you if you're like, oh, it's the doctor has kidnapped some people. OK. Oh, and he's like, right. Should we give him the money? It's like maybe he won't blow everyone up this time. He's going to do yeah. it. He's going to do it. That's the point of confusion for me, because I was like, well, he wouldn't kill everybody in both of these scenarios we are privy to, because then how would he get his money? But I guess he gets the money and he blows them up and then they do it again and they go, well, maybe he'll be nicer this time. And uh, yeah, I I think by the time we get to our our main scenario here, not only does he kill a bunch of people again, but uh, I think he's trying to steal some jewels this time. Uh, But also, I like how his cover with the police so he can buy himself more time is he's demanding that like a, a serial molester rapist or something is released <laughs> from jail. And then they're like, why would you want that? And he's like, I don't even know who the guy is. I just, I just want it to happen. It's I don't even so think he, good. he says the guy by name. He's just like, yeah, that real molestery guy, you guys yeah, just arrested. The, the serial rapist that Hong you know Kong the one. has to one guy that they have in custody one. at this juncture. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's such a great point. Cause I mean, it's like, Obviously, in Die Hard, Hans Gruber did his whole thing where he's like, lists a bunch of political dissidents that he wants released, so they all think he's a politically inclined guy, but he's actually just a thief, you know, and John McClane, mm-hmm. like, scolds him for that. It's like, you're just a common thief, whatever, you know, as if there's, yeah, honestly, that's just working class, uh, you know, kind of like, what we say, prejudice. I mean, a lot of good, hardworking thieves out there, but... um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this one is, is different because he's like, he, I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't, he kidnaps everyone, but he's actually just doing it to rob stuff. But he's pretty upfront about that. But then, honestly, he's not a kidnapper. He's just a mass murderer. Like, these guys are just mass yeah. murderers. That's all they do. So it's not really as nuanced as Die Hard, which a lot of Hong Kong movies, particularly, and this is directed by Wong Jing, who is like the king of schlock in Hong Kong. He's like a category three guy. He's like, he's a, like a film industry. He's like Choi Hawk in that he's like, he's, he's got his name and everything. He has his own workshop. You know, you'll see the Wong Jin's workshop logo at the start of a movie. And you know, then you are in for a dumb time, like really <laughs> dumb, but probably a lot of fun. But the guy does not give a fuck. And this movie is unhinged. Oh yeah. And I, I saw a quote about him where they described his directing style as he doesn't give the audience what he wants. He gives them 
what they want. Like he, he, he just like, he's like, oh yeah, I know what they want. They want titties and explosions and more explosions and more explosions on top of that. Like he doesn't hold back on anything. And also he's smart because if you stop and think about any of this stuff for more than three seconds, it gets a little confusing, but he's <laughs> flashy enough and all these practical effects and stunt work. It's, it's just fantastic. So it's like, I don't give a fuck what this movie's about. It's about shit blowing up. This is the classic Hong Kong format, which is, yeah, they, they didn't spend a lot of money on production design or anything. I mean, it's very clearly like they just dressed like two main rooms, like a hotel lobby and a hotel other room. And they have a bathroom at some point and a few other bits and pieces. Uh, they well, built a miniature of a building. I'll, I'll grant them that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they brought a bag of snakes to a, to a jewel robbery, among other things. Well, that, that's but, um, probably my favorite scene in the whole film. But uh, not, It's incredible. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, it's like, um, they, they really, you know, it looks cheap as chips. That's what they're doing. They don't care because all of the money is invested in just insane action. Corey Yun is one of the action supervisor on this. So, like, pretty, pretty you know, solid expertise. Corey Yun had been doing this for, for a long time at this point. So, and Jet Li obviously leading leading the cast. So it's full of all kinds of insane stunts. And then it's pretty much just like, every time someone shoots a gun, they like fire a hundred rounds. And just, mm -hmm. just like, there's just like sparks, squibs everywhere. Like they're just, every single scene of this movie is as explosive as possible. That's all they're investing in. And it's amazing. Like what more would you want? Oh my god! And you know what? If there's one thing this movie will do, it'll make you say, "Bring back mannequins." You know, there's too much CGI these days. Let's blow up some fucking mannequins again because <laughs> I think there's there's at least two that I can think of, possibly more. But there's one where in, in the very beginning, where a soldier steps on a landmine, and it's like straight out of a, a fucking Macy's, just a mannequin blowing up. <laughs> and then there's another one where uh, a, a body is tossed from the top floor of this uh, hotel or whatever. And same in a thing. scene reminiscent like, of Die Hard. In a scene reminiscent of Die Hard, but again with a department store mannequin. And it looks incredible. A lot of good use of miniatures in this too, you know, like all the exterior shots and everything they're doing. It's Yeah, they it's built a little fun. tower. It's cute. Yeah, it's it, very cute. It's a cute movie. It doesn't look like a particularly, like... I, again, obviously it's a miniature, but it, it, it never gives me the like sense that this is like a, a big high rise or something. It, it always kind of looks like a like a four story building or something. It's, it's hard to tell because they really only built one miniature building. Like there's nothing in the yeah. background. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't. It, it for some reason doesn't read very well, but that's all right because this movie doesn't give you fucking time to consider that. It's just I don't know. It it, it I. It, it really is like highlights the difference between the American approach to this sort of film and the Hong Kong approach. And, uh, you know, give me the Hong Kong approach, I guess, because this shit is fucking everything is moving at breakneck speed at all times. There's so much wild camera movement. And it's, it's interesting that uh, you wonder why Americans like never co-opted that sort of thing for a cheapo action like it makes everything so much more kinetic i mean i can't even think of like analogs i guess like sam raimi maybe uh at some stage or like neville dean and taylor but the, really at no point did hollywood even attempt this sort of filmmaking <laughs> i think yeah. part of it maybe came down to like labor costs like the one thing that hong kong for a long long time had was fairly cheap labor so which one of the reasons why they never shot coverage in their action like they did every like you know martial arts fights and stuff were all shot they basically cut in camera they would actually just they wouldn't repeat the action and shoot it from various different like mm -hmm. scenes or from various different angles to cut it together they would literally just set up new shots every single time and basically invent the fight as they went and just shoot all the bits of the fight and they would just know enough to do that which is really cool and it works, but it also means you have an enormous amount of labor in resetting the camera and resetting the lighting and stuff often many, many times every single day, which is something you can't do in America because it costs a lot of money and it's just, you know, and with union labor and stuff, it's just not really workable. I don't know by the mid-90s if that was as much of a thing, but I just assume, like, this movie looks unsafe. 
Like it's <laughs> oh, it's got the sure. same kind of like John Woo thing where just like like I say, every time someone starts shooting, it's like the whole set is just like simultaneously exploding and there's just some actors in the middle and I don't know how safe they are. Um it, yeah, it's it's just the kind of like hyper stylized Hong Kong brand action and it's it's really mm-hmm. it really is something. This this movie is like it starts wild and you're kind of like okay it'll probably calm down for a bit and it kind of <laughs> calms down for a bit just to let you know there's like a building they have to get into and then once they get into the building it is just unhinged from start to finish this is a movie where chet lee performs an, a drive-by in a car but indoors and then later on also performs a second drive-by shooting but from a helicopter <laughs> Yeah. That, these are things that happen in this movie. Like mentioned before, they, they at one point, for no reason, doesn't hook in with anything. Uh, one of the villains just produces a sack of snakes <laughs> and just throws them in a bathroom to corner a poor woman so the snakes will kill her. But he's just had a, a sack of snakes he brought to a jewel heist. Oh, my God. And this is this is a brilliant, brilliant scene. And it, it totally like uses what they have and then elevates it to an absurd level. So, uh, again, this, this movie, not, not the highest production budget, but whatever they use for the bathroom, it's this ridiculous bathroom where all of the stall doors are, like, painted with people, like, sitting down, taking shits. <laughs> it, it's kind of weird. And so the, the main woman in high risk, she is hiding in the bathroom. But instead of doing what pretty much anyone in any other movie would do, which is close the stall door and like bring your feet up so no one can see that they're underneath. She just sits on the toilet, pulls her pants down, and then has a newspaper and pretends to look like all the other paintings on the bathroom stall doors, which is completely absurd in and of itself. And then there's this kind of back and forth where it's like, oh, does the villain notice? Does, does he not notice? And he comes back, and he ends up throwing an entire bag of snakes at her. Just <laughs> produces a bag of snakes, whips them at her. Another thing about this bathroom scene that I don't understand, and I would like someone on this podcast to please, please tell me. Okay, so not, not a lot of nudity here, okay? No. But for whatever reason, when we're in the bathroom, there is like a three-second shot of an uncircumcised pissing dick. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that happens. <laughs> like, jarring, jarring dick. I was, I, I was kind of hoping... I did not when, see it coming. I was kind of hoping, what do you... Because isn't it, like... Okay, so I think this ties in with... Because this with is a wild snakes. film. This is also a vendetta, right? Apparently, there, there's... there's some, like, uh, Oh, yeah. There's because vin- the plot is... The plot is Die Hard. The subplot is... I'm the director and writer of this movie, and I think Jackie Chan's a pussy. <laughs> right, exactly. So this is this <laughs> one Jackie Chan. I thought it was Bruce Lee. No, well, he's he's pretending. I mean, you know, so so a subplot. Jet Li is the brave, honorable bomb disposal guy who has been for years has been just he. he well, he fell on hard times because he doesn't save the people at the beginning at the, the scene, including his girlfriend who's there for some reason in the bus. I don't know how any of that works out, but anyway, he's very sad that his girlfriend got incinerated alongside with his partner and a dozen children. Uh, for no particular reason so he decides to quit the force he can't do it anymore and he ends up on a stunt team uh, and he ends up doing all the real stunts for an actual movie star who's played by jackie chung who's a well-known hong kong comedy action star as well uh, but but the basic subtext you have the movie is that the jackie chung's character is basically just a fraud he just he pretends to do all his own stunts but he doesn't gently does them for him and then he just soaks up all the praise and gently does all the stunts because he's basically dead inside but this is very clearly playing back to towards wong ching worked with jackie chan on the city hunter film and jackie chan was not totally pleased with that and said some things and Wong Ching apparently took it very personally. So this this it does an entire character, this is an entire plot arc of this movie that is essentially just a vendetta against Jackie Chan. Which is, <laughs> you know, what better reason to make a movie? Like this is again, this is Wong Jin just like a hundred percent. This is just the sort of stuff he does. Mm-hmm. And it's and it goes beyond like, oh, he's a, you know, a, a bumbling fake and, and comedic relief and all this stuff. 
it it digs pretty deep. Like there's this whole scene where fake Jackie Chan is complaining because in the bag of steaks there was also like a lizard that <laughs> bit him on the ass. <laughs> and so uh, Jet Li because uh the the woman in the bathroom she got bit by a poisonous snake so he's like sucking the poison out of the snake wound. And then Jackie Chan is like Oh, dad, uh, I got bit on the ass. And then the dad's like, do you want your dad to suck your ass? And he's like, yes, daddy, suck my ass. Like, Come on. This is all, yeah. And, and so I feel like this this ties in, like the aforementioned utterly bizarre penis shot. Which, by the way, it might be worth mentioning, this movie was released in the US as Meltdown, I think. I think it was Meltdown yeah. and that, yes, it was Meltdown because there's another entirely separate movie that got released in the UK is The Black Sheep Affair, which got released in the US as another Meltdown and they have nothing to do with each other whatsoever. Nice. Trying to keep all this stuff straight. But I think like the penis that we see in the film, I think it's a child's penis. Maybe like it's it's very difficult to tell because uh, he's yeah it's it's brief but he's peeing yeah. next to a child. Well, you Jackie. you guys are the are the child penis experts on this. Uh, podcast, yeah, I'm, so. I'm not going to claim that, but I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to decode this, and I think the inference is essentially is that uh, Jackie Chung's character and by extension Jackie Chan has a baby dick. Yeah. This is the best I've come up from. I don't know, though, if, if I need to get a copy of Meltdown, like with the US titles, because I would be amazed if that shot is in it. Yeah, there's no way in hell they kept that dick. Because it's just, it's it's probably like the biggest dick surprise I've ever experienced in a movie. It doesn't make any sense at all. I have no idea why it's there, but God bless. I suppose that one thing, if I'm contrasting this with like, american films such as say die hard the the one thing that the american approach yields that the hong kong approach does not is like you, you really get a sense for uh everyone in the film like i i could be like oh hans gruber's got a crew of of 10 guys or something and we we can kind of recognize them all by sight whereas not, not only in this film but in both of these films i how many people are in these uh, this crew of kidnappers? So approximately uh, two thousand. Or... <laughs> well, they came to kill everyone. <laughs> they have to kill a building's worth of people. That's so yeah, there's there's like three main ones. There's the woman. There's Bond who who wants to fight the movie star for some reason. Apparently, there's like a whole thing about movie stars are exceptionally tough people, which I would have thought the rumor would be the other way around. So this like psychotic martial artist wants to fight. Jackie Chung's character to prove he's the best. It's like that's who you want. You don't want to fight like a boxer or someone. You want to fight a movie star. That seems weird. And then there's another guy with the snakes, and I don't, I don't know who he is, uh, honestly. But yeah, he's like you three main guys, I think. And then you, there's a lot of the other guy peripheral with the snakes characters. is the brother of the uh, the doctor. I believe. Mm. Oh, there, there you go. I think I missed that. The frankly, affair. Uh, yeah. Well, they say it when he gets killed because the uh, the doctor is suddenly enraged that his brother was killed by uh, gently. Oh well, that that'll happen. Yeah, there's there's a lot of surprising things. The the female lead in this is the the incomparable Ching Mei Yao, who is like a fixture of Category Three cinema. But just like Amy Yip, who's like the queen of Category Three, Ching Mei Yao is another one of these like really peculiar things in that she usually, and this is a, a rare exception and she's in city hunter as well, which is also a rare exception because city hunter is actually like uh like PG 13 movie, which Wong Jing mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily isn't best known for certainly not in the West, but uh, it's, it's unusual in that she doesn't get naked in these films at all. In almost every other movie, she gets naked, but you will never see anything. It's like the, the most long running magic trick. And Amy Yip did this <laughs> too. It's like it was known as like a thing. She will always like there'll be like long scenes, like sex scenes in the movies, but there will be nothing that like legally amounts to nudity in them. Uh, a very peculiar setup. And usually, obviously, in the Cat 3 films, like they often had to like import actresses from like Thailand or Japan mm -hmm. uh, if they actually wanted nudity to happen because culturally it just wasn't something a lot of the Chinese actresses wanted to do. Or they would just literally just hire prostitutes in China. They would just because they, they didn't care um yeah because you know it's it's the, the entertainment business the glitz and glamour of hong kong man uh, that'd cinema. be a great gig like if i could just be like if you could just be a stunt titty 
or like a stunt dick or, you know, like no one has to know who you are. You just go there, you take off some clothes, you leave. That's amazing. All that, that's if, if I could, if I could reincarnate myself, it would be as an eighties cat three stunt titty lady. That's what I would want to be. <laughs> wow. Really, really aiming for the stars there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got, like you, you, you wouldn't uh, want to be Meryl Streep or anyone. No, you're just, just no, stunt titty. Meryl stunt Streep titties. has to like read scripts and, you know, try and do <laughs> things and act. No, I just need a good titty. That's it. That's all you need, really. Fair. Yeah, so this movie is amazing. It, it's genuinely fantastic. Is this something, like, is this available anywhere on Blu-ray? Or it's got to have, like, a shitty DVD. This seems like a Media Blasters special. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know it must be available in Asia, at least in HD, because we had a HD yeah. copy, but I do yeah, not know if it's released. There is a Japanese Blu-ray that I've seen. Okay, so. So, so I figured this one may well have fallen down the Weinstein hole. It's entirely possible. That it got, you know, yeah. a, dub, a dubbed, cut-up version in the U.S. called Meltdown that now is his rights tied up. So I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's available now. It's probably like this. There might be like an old Dragon Dynasty DVD or something, but I never had it. So no I'm not sure. But I got to well, track shit. one down because of the, 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 the penis shot. Now I'm like, I'm intrigued. I got to go <laughs> and, and find out yeah. and hopefully not get on any search lists. But we'll see. Jack, Jack Eason, he's, he's intrigued by child penis. That's... That's how possible. You sum this guy up. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. It is so jarring. It is utterly. I don't understand Such a what happened dick. in it. I just it's, like did. I, I was like, it, it. It takes you by surprise. I'm like, is that is that a penis? <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, what are it really fucking, does. What is it? A gooey I mean, duck or something? <laughs> like, what is gooey duck? <laughs> it looks. It looks weird. I is think, that a sea cucumber? <laughs> this is this is my thing. I think it is a close-up of a child's penis which is a really weird thing to do at the best of times but in the context of a weird joke against jackie chan it is an utterly bizarre thing to do i say this uh thinking of like stephen chow's king of comedy i think it's king of comedy which has like an extended comic sequence involving a child's penis so this is not beyond the realms of possibility. That sequence, by the way, has been, I believe, excised from all future copies of the film. If you if you find Probably a copy of that somewhere, that is not in there anymore. Um, <laughs> it certainly would never make it to the West. Um, so no, we, we only have Bolero. We don't have things we, like exa- that. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, different, different thing. Matt, gee, wh- how? What am I going to do with this knowledge? Like, what? I, I don't <laughs> like, know. I'm going to do a podcast because who, who wants to even know this shit? No one. Well, no one wants to know it. I choose to believe that it's just a man with a small, weird penis. Uh, I mean, how it, can you I mean, really tell the size scenario. of the penis? It's like fucking the size of my entire television screen. Is it? They yeah, really got right. the it camera is, right <laughs> up on the thing. Whatever. It, I shouldn't say small. It just seems like condensed. Yeah, and I think. It, it's the lack of circumcision that's really selling it too, because it's it's wrapped up tight. Like that's a that's an anteater snoot. I'm mean, looking on IMDb; they have a list of alternate versions, and it's all like cuts for violence and stuff. There, there is nothing about cutting Not cut anything for else. Weird dick. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, shit. There you go. So, if you're looking for a great diehard riff that is funny and has some amazing action and a weird dick. High risk. You can't really go wrong. Now, we also watched another Die Hard clone, also from 1995. But this movie, it's called Red Wolf. It also, uh, it, it takes place on a boat. So is this actually an under siege clone instead of a Die Hard clone? It's, yeah, it's like Die Hard, but on a boat, which would be under siege. But this exactly. is Die Hard <laughs> on a boat, but in Asia. Yeah. And the, the big takeaway take for this, for me was why is this movie called red wolf we don't know uh, we i don't know i think there's like maybe two shots of a boat in the entire movie and i'm not sure they ever reveal the name of the boat but possibly this luxury passenger liner that all the interiors look like a motel six uh, mm-hmm. conference room maybe it's called red wolf it's uh, yeah this was a hundred percent shot in either a motel six or maybe some interiors in like uh, like a fucking telemarketing center. That's 
I love it. Like, yeah, the luxury ballroom of this, like, fantastic ocean liner is, like, they just hung some curtains up somewhere. Like, there's a lot of curtains in the background of shots of this to just kind of create an amorphous feel that, you know, it's like, this This could be, it could be a boat. Who knows? It might, it's not a conference room, we swear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, this one is... Boy, it's got a lot going on. Uh, I, I like how our female lead is just some master pickpocket who with a heart of gold. as a waitress. Yeah, she, she does have a heart of gold, but in addition to, you know, she steals a bunch of money from some, like, lecherous boob grabber, and you're like, okay, I'm fine with that. But then she, like, bumps into another guy and steals, like, a diamond engagement ring. And you're like, I don't know about that. And then the but fact then, that she's so brazen about this, she's really, like, she almost gets caught multiple times, and yet she's like, man, I'm just gonna keep stealing it, shit. It does seem like a terrible idea to be a master thief on, uh, like, at sea with security constantly around. Like, it just, uh, maybe commit crimes at ports and then get back on the boat. Mm-hmm. You would think. Yeah, you'd think. This this movie, though, so so this is one, this has been knocking around. I've wanted to talk about this movie for a long, long time. I can't imagine. Because many, many years ago. <laughs> well, great question. So this came up as, this came up with the, the infamous boat cast that we were oh, yeah. always going to do for the longest time. Uh, I don't know why it even became a thing. We just never did it. It was going to be three movies set on boats. Maybe it was a shotgun wedding it, episode. It, it, it yeah, was. Back it was gonna, it, what was the original one going to be? What was the movie we were pairing? I speed think two? Speed I, two. It was either Speed, speed. two or Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> Fitz, well, yeah. Okay. So, so it was one of those. Because, because my my plan was essentially that uh, I was gonna. I, my dog is having having conniptions. But um, <laughs> my, my original plan was I was going to do a Night Moves, right? The Gene Hackman movie, which is very good. And it does feature a boat at a pivotal moment. And it's very good. And then I was like, you guys don't deserve Night Moves. We're going to do the Red Wolf because <laughs> it's a stupid movie. But it kind of shows my growth as a movie viewer because the Red mm. Wolf is a movie I saw years and years ago. And it struck me as the most batshit insane movie I'd ever seen at the time. But now I think it's actually less insane than the other half of this podcast. So that really <laughs> is saying something. Yeah, it's I mean, I wouldn't call it tame, but I think compared to a lot of Hong Kong action films, it's uh, you know, about middle of the road for, for being batshit. It certainly has its moments, that's for sure. I mean, its uh, plot is bad shit. Like what why is why is there plutonium on this cruise ship? <laughs> they gotta steal it on the ocean liner. There's, yeah, there's I, I, multiple layers of thievery. There's like standard pickpocketing up to stealing the plutonium that they're smuggling for some reason. I mean, is that something they generally put on cruise ships? All no. the time, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert in cruise ship inventory. Maybe that's yeah. how most... How does plutonium get from place to place? Maybe it's cruise ships. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what am I fucking playing shuffleboard on the on the Royal Caribbean like you, Mr. Bougie Cruiser? Like, I, I don't know what they keep on those things. You tell me. I mean, probably many things, uh, none of which involve, you know, radiation poisoning. Yeah, or, you know. let, let me tell you what they got. They got a uh, nice little pool on the main deck. They got uh, all-you-can-eat crab buffet, maybe a Wayne Newton impersonator, and you better bet your ass they got some plutonium down there. I mean, so. I guess I wouldn't put it past... It, it, uh, the cruise ship seems like a, an American institution more than anything. I, I wouldn't put it past... Uh, our country, who has who has really failed to uh, ever devise a solution for how to dispose of like depleted uranium rods, perhaps uh, yeah. perhaps they just are like, oh, we'll we'll pay Carnival. They'll just take it out to sea and throw it down the Marianas Trench or something. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> the other thing I really want to talk about here is uh, this movie stars my boy Kenny Ho, and if you're asking yourself who's Kenny Ho. He's, I think he played a lot of bit parts in Hong Kong action movies. He's one of those people you're like, I've seen him before. And the reason he's the lead, or at least my theory is, High Risk was like, isn't it funny that we've got fake Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan's a pussy? And at Red Wolf, like, we got Kenny Ho, but we want you to squint really hard and pretend it's Chow Yun-Fat. And that's pretty much their action hero. I mean, yeah, I think that sums up the movie. Like, like the movie is, and this is directed by Young Wu Ping. So this is like, I mean, serious martial arts director. Oh yeah, he did, you know, serious uh, the, pedigree. The choreo for like Kill Bill and the Once Upon a Time in China series. Like he's he's fucking oh, legit. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, and the Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, all kind. Of, like, I mean, Young Wu Ping is one of the the 
leading action choreographers. But I like I don't know. I mean, he'd made a couple of bigger. He'd made some really great films at this point, um, like absolutely like Hong Kong classics. I mean, he did Tiger Cage, I think, which is like one of the, just the greatest, like maybe the like apogee of the gritty '80s Hong Kong movie, almost, um, like insanely just grueling, awful film, but like amazing, just electrifying. But by the '90s, I don't know if just the the Hong Kong film industry was in adjustment or whatever, because like, real, I cannot stress, and it's just how cheap this movie looks. It really is, It like, why do they set it on? They should have just set it in a building. We should have just had two movies that were set in buildings. <laughs> like, why, why pretend? Because yeah. there's nothing much about it being a boat that matters. Uh, this, like, they don't, like, we don't even have a scene of, like, water rushing in anywhere. There's even a uh, scene where, <laughs> where our hero jumps over the edge and, like, he's hanging onto a rope and he swings into a, swings through a convenient glass window at the base of the hull of the ship, which is never patched up again. And apparently that's fine. You just have a <laughs> hole down there. Uh, I don't know why you put a window down there, but that's that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, the, the this move, but yeah, I mean, it, high risk is set such a, a, like a high bar for absolute lunacy that this movie mm-hmm. can seem a little bit constrained certainly um there, there's backstory stuff in this and it's nowhere near as deliriously absurd as high risk and it kind of like kills the movie's pacing a bit uh kenny ho uh he he lost his wife because he's a cop and uh, <laughs> he, he was there was a robber running along and he he threw a knife at the robber to stop him and the robber accidentally shot his wife when he got stabbed because that was but he, his wife told him not to do it it's like leave it alone whatever and he's like no i'm always a cop even now so he threw a yeah. knife at a man he had no idea of the circumstances he just threw Good a knife at him do yeah cops are always throwing knives man could be but what really confused me is that flashback is triggered by him looking at maybe the same knife he threw it's unclear <laughs> he's using it to like peel an apple and like did he keep the knife that he threw into the man that made him murder his wife because that would be Really, that's really beating yourself up over it. That's I don't think you should do that. <laughs> yeah, but, you not know, an ideal keepsake, I'd say. Yeah, there's, so yeah. there's various uh, plot threads throughout here, but they mostly just it mostly just gives way to just absolute absurdity. The, the plot is so honestly high risk, almost hangs together better. I love that like uh, the, our main character again. He's the head of security on the ship. He doesn't know who any of the security people are. It turns out they're all terrorists, like yeah. all of them. <laughs> Yeah, way to go. You didn't check on your own guys. Some security man you are. Yeah, this this one's not as good, that's for sure. It's honestly, despite its pedigree, like the choreography is just kind of there. Like this this feels a lot more familiar to like American DTV action stuff. It's not like it, until until <laughs> the third act of this movie really gets there. Well, they, yeah. they've got to, they've got to get to the a child that's being endangered by an incredibly cruel man. Like that's where Hong Kong cinema like clicks into overdrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all they understand. understand everything that's really. happening in the back end. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like the, the main <laughs> female villain gets uh, just like burned alive uh, in. The she, most she gets ret- burned alive, but mostly it just looks like she got a bad haircut, and the guy still kills her. He's like, "No, there's no saving you. Your hair looks awful," and he just shoots her. I don't even. Yeah, how does she get burned alive? Though, like a, a can of paint falls. <laughs> yeah, it's it the most amazing like situation. Yeah, it's, it's like, like maybe a, this a, boat hasn't been finished being built yet. Is this possible? Because there's like a room and like there's some things of paint just lying loose around on a boat, like you do, yeah. just leaving fucking sledgehammers just untethered around they were the gonna place. paint it canary yellow and then she knocked over the paint and it spontaneously lit on fire I... yeah well the they girl just... she's fighting what is she what does she use to to light it's the a fire gun. With it's the paint? a gunshot okay she just shoots yes. the paint and then by shooting the paint she catches on fire. yes and Damn. it wasn't it's not like an intentional thing either it's this is your your standard incompetent yeah, she's kind uh, of shooting around incompetent woman firing the gun willy-nilly yeah. and it just happens to ignite the paint so, just a little whoopsie poopsie there causing a serious fire but yeah and then she gets burned alive but she just looks a little like i don't know like when i was a kid and my mom wouldn't buy me a halloween costume so she's like you're gonna be a bum and then she like smudges makeup <laughs> on your face, so you just look like you got like dirt on you. 
that's basically what she's got a bad haircut some bum makeup. which is quite the choice considering that the scene where she burns alive is like fucking three minutes long of her completely on fire <laughs> <laughs> like, again this yeah. this, this highlights the, the the production choices of hong kong cinema it's like we could get a guy to just be on fire for a very long time that's no problem should we hang around to do makeup to like <laughs> depict the after effects doesn't seem that important so yeah <laughs> keep rolling but we had to get the scene where the bad guy kills her to show he's a bad guy it's like we already know he's a bad guy <laughs> we- yeah, they've already murdered everyone on the boat like it, it, again i don't understand they, they take everyone hostage and they're like we need to steal this plutonium and then just throughout the course of it, like, actually, let's just murder everyone on this boat. I, do they, like, I'm not even, oh, can't even remember what the escape plan is, particularly, or if there's any cogent explanation, particularly. I believe they are planning to port somewhere where they have uh, extrication of some sort, you know, like after, it seems like they're working within a time window, especially, it's really only mentioned at the end of the film when the power goes out and the, uh, guy who is hacking this or cracking the safe with like a fucking powerpoint presentation um is so you did it in the 90s yeah he he just says oh no we only have five minutes before uh, they're supposed to be going to to an island of some sort where they are disembarking from the boat one thing before I forget that I really enjoyed about this movie. So this movie has, and I think you're right. Like, I mean, it's it has these like it's not as good as High Risk. It's not as out there. This felt much more out there to me years ago when I first watched it. It was like, holy shit, this movie looks like it's held together with tape and everyone's just insane. And there's an element of that, but Hong Kong honestly goes harder than that sometimes. Although I still there's still a lot of stuff I really enjoy here. But one thing this movie does offer is a load of great white person acting. Which is one of my favorite things in Hong Kong cinema. Because Hong Kong has lots and lots of white people. They're around, but they're not really... Most of them are kept around either as stunt guys. They're like, they're there for like, they can fight and they want to be in action movies. Um, and they, they do that, but they're not really actors. And then so, so some of those guys, some of those guys work better because they do want to be actors. They try. But Hong Kong cinema also has a time-honored tradition of just grabbing white people and just putting them in film movies because uh, they speak English and just like telling them, just speak English in this scene. Uh, you know, we'll put it together. You're just, you're a white person in this movie. It's it's diverse now. So there's all kinds of great white people acting in this. Uh, on top of it, one of my favorite is that the captain uh, is, uh, the captain's name is Captain Carr. He's a boat yeah. captain. There's <laughs> just wonderful, wonderful details like that. But you know, it, this movie is just—it just feels like it, like half a dream to me at times. Mm. Like there's just nothing really pairs together. Like lots of movies are like half written and undercooked. This is something else. It just really feels almost like they didn't make this movie or they like something i would love an oral history of what happened to this movie and i'm just curious <laughs> did something go wrong or did they just not care or well, is everything which, right like, did, did the two things meet somewhere along the way i would love to know because this movie is even by like hong kong action like cheap action standards the red wolf looks like it could just like at any point the move the end credits might roll because it just ran out of money yeah. Uh, what do you mean they ran out of money? You don't like that fucking, like, in-frame, like, composited electricity effect, like, rolling over the whole thing for, like, 15 <laughs> minutes? Me back to, like, my, my, my favorite, like, 80s, like, Ghostbusters or some shit. <laughs> it's quite amazing. They're just carrying around a live wire that is emitting blue cartoon electricity for like 15 minutes in the back every but that's so planned the guys yeah he's all in like rubber rubber rain gear and he's trying to push the guy up against the pipe to electrocute him but then he grabs the girl there's this little girl throughout the whole movie that's in danger all the time because they have to have a kid hong kong movies breed you like they kind of make inculcate in you that like 400 people will die in this movie like both of these movies must have body counts in the hundreds there's just like just so many sequences of just guy with an oozy spraying the room with bullets and everyone just keeling over dead they have like and and each both these movies have like 15 of those shots easily uh like so the, the only way they can bring back is like no now a little girl is in danger where you need to care now the rest of it was just we don't care it's not but, either you know, of their uh their little girls either you would think that would be like some plot economy but it's like no 
Both of these movies feature, uh, they, they have their protagonist evolved by being uh, forced to take on a new familial role. <laughs> Jet Li, yes. is a, he inherits a wife in the uh, first film, and <laughs> in this one, uh, our, our protagonist is, I guess he's a father now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the first movie is kind of like lose a wife, take a wife. That's kind of like mm-hmm. it, it adds up. And yeah, and this one, it, it, oh God, one of my favorite things in The Red Wolf is, yeah, um, so there's this little girl and she's there with her mom and dad and her dad is like friends with, with uh, Kenny Ho's character, the chief of security, who's terrible at his job, right? And anyway, the dad gets killed first. Um, and at some point they just take the, like he, this stranger just grabs a little girl and just says like, your dad's dead by the way. And just runs off. It's like, <laughs> did she need to know it at this point? Like it's just piling on the trauma. And then her mother gets murdered in front of her too. Like they orphan this child. And then she just gets a new, a new family of Kenny <laughs> Ho and Chris Chung playing the, the pickpocket woman hero, Eric Eleniak stand in maybe, I don't know. Um, and and yeah, they they basically they they now have to protect the child, and and the danger for the child is introduced in the finale by their evil main villain uh, furiously playing the drums while hanging her uh, like from the ceiling with dynamite strapped around her, which is again classic Hong Kong setup. Like the showmanship of criminality is just uh, mind boggling, and he also yeah. brought a suicide vest with him to again a uh, ferry cruise robbery of plutonium <laughs> admittedly it's so yeah christy chung really just useless in this fucking movie dude all she has to do is pull this small child up by a rope <laughs> she can't fucking manage it the entire time uh, really big, big kid i mean she she's slumping you know she's not helping <sighs> all you gotta do is wind that rope around your hands you know you can't just kind of grasp it that's not how it works you know, you know the way they talk about like when when a mother sees their child in danger, they get like you know this fl- like flood of adrenaline, and they can like just lift up a car or whatever. <laughs> I guess maybe this is the indication that that her her mother impact like her mother role hasn't kicked in fully. Maybe in Red Wolf Two, if they ever get around to making it, she'll have it fully. If they threaten the kid, she'll be able to like pull her up or push over a boat or you know who knows all kinds of possibilities. Fire a gun, yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe we'll get Red Wolf 2 uh, for the 30-year anniversary. What do you think? Yeah, they, they should do. I mean, if they make speech to why not make Red Wolf 2? Like, there, there's no mm. reason for one of those movies to exist and not the other. Another yeah. fun thing I like about this movie, uh, if you watch uh, the Cantonese versus the English, there's a great scene where Christy Chung uh, does just a bizarre Madonna ca- like karaoke sequence. Um, oh yeah and it's really good because in the english voice and i don't know who voices her in the english dub on my copy but it's like they just want to make her sound like the most just deranged irritating woman impossible it's it's terrible but they sing like three lines of like a virgin and then in the cantonese version i don't guess because they just didn't care she sings one line of it and then she just starts going do 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 afterwards <laughs> see this was the very scene that prompted me because i i believe i have your version and i was it just immediately started playing the dubbed version and so i just yeah. assumed that's what i was i was watching you know i'm like i didn't realize there I don't were multiple think it audio much. but once that that scene hit with the madonna thing i was like i gotta see if there's fuck a different language track on this i can't be dealing with this i really it really feels like there might be another vendetta in this movie and it's between an english dubbing actress and christy chung because <laughs> it's cruel i like to think that all like hong kong cinema cat three stuff it's it's just all about vendettas like how can i shit talk someone <laughs> without actually shit talking them yeah that makes sense <laughs> all it. right well i mean honestly like this week was uh surprisingly fun oh my god we've actually surprisingly watched good fun. shit <laughs> what have we what, where, what have we done lately jack I, mean, I guess i guess we did champagne and bullets that was fun. yeah homegrown um, horror that was pretty fun that was pretty fun. I just I keep thinking back to like the the award show thing and, and award show thing and Dead that... Souls was was kind of a chore. The Pam Am yeah, thing the was... Pam Anderson took a little time off my life, but <laughs> I'm, I'm good. We're we're hitting our stride again, which is great. So, um, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Oh, uh, you know that, that's a great question. I I've not really been. You know what I'm. You know what I'm gonna put over. I'm gonna not put over something. 
Okay. Um, I okay. watched the other day. I watched the uh, Netflix documentary uh, about Abercrombie and Fitch. Finch, Fitch. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, it's garbage. It's the like absolute worst kind of like like this movie should play on gas pumps across the country and nowhere <laughs> else. That's what this thing is for. Uh, it's terrible. And Netflix keep releasing like statements about how they're like you know, hiring all the best documentary filmmakers and revolutionizing documentary filmmaking. And these are the actual films they're making, the least curious. Like, literally, it's a movie about how, you know, it's basically a, like a recap of all the stuff you've already read about Abercrombie and Fitch, but they basically suggest that, like, all of it seems to be happening in a vacuum. Like, there's no commentary on, like, the broader capitalist landscape that might forge these decisions and stuff. Yeah. No, they don't care. And then at the end, the very last scene is uh, like they describe how the the store now apparently is like a really diverse, like because it's still around the store. I didn't realize this, but it's still around. Oh. And apparently now it's a really diverse workforce. And they're like, so, you know, it's really good. And and then someone like an off voice interviewer goes like, do you really think, you know, problems in America have been fixed? And then she goes, no, and laughs. And then it ends as if they had any insights into anything in this movie. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. So what I'm That's putting fun. over is not watching that. Yeah. I, I, here's what you can put over, Jack. It's a fun game where you go to the documentary section of Netflix and you watch a Netflix original documentary. And you just keep going until you find one that doesn't suck shit. See how long it takes you. And I think you might be spending a, a long time watching garbage. So uh, Netflix, I, I've complained about their, you know, their regular limited series and their, their fiction stuff and their, their films, everything about them. But my God, if you want to talk about an area where there's nothing redeemable, fuck their documentaries. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm putting over Hulu's uh, American Eagle documentary. Uh, <laughs> no, Hulu Hulu has the, they got the the Von Dutch one. Uh, I'm not even joking. They actually have Jesus that. Christ. <laughs> what is happening? Um, I don't know. I haven't fucking, the only thing I've seen since we last recorded was the fucking Batman. So sure, that's fine. Watch that. It's not your, your high praise for that was don't watch it unless you really want to, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, brooding. It's it's very long. Uh there's some shots you you could see that are pretty. Uh the Batmobile's cool. Uh Something in the way. That song plays like three times, right? Yeah. I, I feel like they actually use it like I, I it's like they base the score around that song, I think. And uh yeah. it, it's kind of an interesting idea, I guess, but it's one of the only interesting ideas in the movie, I would say. But um, why is every Batman movie just about nine eleven? You ever think about that? How, how is Robert Pattinson? Is he is he playing like emo Batman? I don't know if emo is still a thing, but Robert Pattinson could pull it off. I'm gonna I'm gonna say he doesn't. There's not a ton for him to do. Like they don't. He's mostly no. just kind of Batman, like walking around. But there's not a whole lot of uh the whole dual dual lives of Batman thing. Mostly there's virtually zero Bruce Wayne in this movie at all. So it's, it's yeah. not a very demanding performance from Pattinson, but he's, he's fine. Yeah. Our Pats does a nice job. He's yeah. I'm not, good, I'm not so. big on the whole, uh, the Riddler thing. Personally. I, I think that the uh, Dano is not hitting it for me, but you know, to each their own. Yeah. Agreed. Well, boys, let me tell you something. I had a dream, and I don't know if you heard this before, but uh, no, I, I was I was been loaded up on on medication. I'm sick. My head's fucking floating. I've had a high fever for a day and a half, and I had a dream last night that Optimism Vaccine shot to number one on the Apple Podcast charts. We we dethroned Joe Rogan, and it was because we did an episode on talking horse movies and i mean if anything's gonna do it that's i guess now we yeah, have to do a fucking episode on talking horse movies talking horses <laughs> we gotta we gotta test this out and specifically the the thing that everybody loved was our discussion of some talking horse movie that has bobcat goldthwaite in it and then I, like this i i rarely remember my dreams but this one really stuck out to me and I, I think this is prophetic because 
I, I typed in like Bobcat Goldthwait horse movie. There's a Bobcat Goldthwait talking horse movie. It's called Hot to Trot. It's from 1988. Uh, I've never seen it. But the description says an insecure stockbroker teams up with Don the Talking Horse, a chatty four-legged financial advisor. Uh, so uh, obviously I, I'm, I'm putting over hot to trot. I've never seen it. I don't know if it's good. <laughs> but one day we will cover it on Optimism Vaccine and it will skyrocket us to the top of the charts. But this is what happens when I get a fever. I, I dream of horse movies I've never seen. So here we are. <laughs> How do you guys feel about that? Uh, I, I am now, because we are absolutely going to, to watch that movie, aren't we? That's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking uh, at the, the VHS cover right now, and I got to say, uh, yes, please. <laughs> so, so I'm, assuming, I'm assuming Bobcat Goldthwait is the voice of the horse, right? Like, the, you wouldn't hire him to just be him on screen if there's a voice role, right? No, the voice yeah, of the know. horse. He's the that? voice of the horse is, in fact, Wait. John Candy. <laughs> so, so bobcat goldthwaite is in the movie doing his voice and then john, and john candy is just but that's <laughs> yeah that's crazy i would make bobcat the horse probably Fuck, now he i want to see this yeah and it appears bobcat and the horse are really giving a rough time to old dabney coleman oh well you know she deserves it does she i don't <laughs> she that's he she he sorry <laughs> uh anyways yeah well i don't i'm I'm looking at the cover right now too this is fucking insane <laughs> why are we doing no god damn it it's gonna have this to be like, seen i gotta sit <laughs> what is this there's a horse quote on the on the cover it says when i talk you're gonna laugh yourself horse <laughs> and then bobcat's like sitting on the desk and he's feeding the horse apples and the horse has got a little computer in his hooves are gonna type yeah yeah, this is going to be great. And it's great. not like a picture of Bobcat either. It's like some sort of strange drawing. Yeah, it's a hideous drawing. <laughs> and he's got on like Jordans. <laughs> and we cannot forget that Dabney Coleman's head is mounted to the wall for some. Oh yeah, Dabney Coleman, who's a man, yes. not a woman. Yes, indeed. In case anyone's yeah. wondering, to my knowledge, but yeah, his head is mounted on the wall. So wow, just a lot of great stuff going on here. I'm I'm so glad that I I dream this to life. Um, wow. Well, the wow. tagline it, it assures us that this is indeed the funniest talking horse movie ever. Yeah. Uh, so we don't have to look at any other ones. Like we can start at the top. Yeah. Wow. Just a lot of a lot. Well, going to be on fair, well, I can't it, I can't waste for the horse. There pack. may have been funnier talking horse movies since 1988. Yeah. The 90s did have a talking animal renaissance, really. What about what about Racing Stripes or Seabiscuit or uh, War Horse? I bet that one's funny. I don't think those horses <laughs> really talk much, Steve. Hate to be the bearer back. You sure? <laughs> War Horse doesn't talk? I, I, I would be surprised. <laughs> have you seen War Horse? No, I have seen Seabiscuit, uh, but I have not seen War Horse. You know something about, okay, so Racing Stripes, that's, that's Seabiscuit, but it's a zebra. And Frankie Muniz, right? Yeah. Why didn't they just call it Z Biscuit instead of instead of Racing Stripes? I think that's a better name because it's a zebra, but it's Sea Biscuit. No one takes my advice on these things ever. Anyways, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today, or if you just think that Racing Stripes should have been called Z Biscuit instead of Sea Biscuit, uh, do us a favor. There's a link to our Patreon. It's in the description of this podcast. You can give us money. Why would you give us money? Great question. Well, for one. I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection in the mail. Maybe it's a VHS copy of Hot to Trot, a movie that I dreamed to life, which probably exists on VHS in no other format, because why would it? It's probably on Tubi. uh, (laughs) It's probably on Tubi. That's the other thing, too. I would bet my fucking, like, bald aardvark dick from high risk, I would bet it that this is on Tubi. So, uh, yeah, i check it out, Hot to Trot. Anyways, yeah, you'll get a movie in the mail at any donation level. Uh, higher levels, you can do things like get your name read on the air at this on this podcast. We'll give you a shout out. Uh, and you can even dictate content. If you want the the horse cast to be a three-part podcast series, maybe we spent the, the it could be the month of horse. We don't know. But if if you donate enough money, then you can make that happen. Really, the world is your oyster here. 
You know, you know, Steve. Uh, I just I just checked, and Hot to Trot is not available to stream for free. But you can pay three dollars to rent it from all of the platforms. <laughs> That's really weird. How is Hot to Trot not on Tubi? That's the most Tubi ass <laughs> movie ever. <laughs> It's like pay. a weird idea of a movie that I've never seen, but it's in my dreams. That's no, but what you, you could use your Apple TV to pay $7 and you can own a copy. Wow. That's the That's dream. Good. Damn. How much does a copy cost on the Pirate Bay? Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, good horse movies, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Uh, Adam Myros, hot to trot, as always, ready to to hear what you have to say. And uh, Jake still has a baby, so there is no last word. Just, uh, yeah, Mount Dabney Coleman's head on the wall. <laughs> <laughs>